and welcome back to more of a comment than a question. Uh, my name is Paul Connor, and I am joined by my friend and co-host and New York refugee, Rachel Hartman. <laughs> Rachel, how are you doing? I'm I'm doing all right. I'm uh, recovered from my traumatic New York experience, but uh, yeah, it's good to be back home. <laughs> yes, it's such a shame we didn't get to catch up, and there were multiple reasons. Um, so listeners might remember, I thought I might have COVID, uh, when we recorded the last episode, turned out I definitely did have COVID. Um, and my whole family got quite sick for a few days and we're all sort of better now. I mean, I'm not totally better <clears throat> as you, you'll probably hear, I'll cough multiple times during the podcast. Uh, I am testing negative, but still just coughing like all day. So considering going to a doctor and just saying, Hey, can you help me get rid of this cough? Cause it's becoming a bit annoying. Like I'm not, I don't feel super sick. I also think my sense of taste is like slightly messed up. Mm-hmm. Like I never like really lost taste, but I, it felt just sort of muted to me. Like I wasn't fully tasting things. I, I wasn't getting the full variation of, of flavors or, really like enjoying tastes that I normally enjoy. And I guess that happens just with regular sickness and colds too, but still now, like I'll drink a coffee and it's like, I'm just trying to like think about my subjective experience and think, am I fully like, is this what coffee always tastes like? It doesn't taste like quite the same as I remember it, but it's quite, I don't know. It's quite difficult to tell because it's definitely not gone, but yeah, like it seems like it's muted, but anyway, so we couldn't catch up. Did you lose your sense of smell at all? I never really noticed losing it. Because that but can also I don't know. I don't, affect your I don't really taste. go around smelling things. So, <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, we didn't, <laughs> moving on. We didn't, we weren't able to catch up anyway, even if you hadn't fled the city. Um, but you did flee the city. I did flee. Uh, it's actually a very interesting story. I don't, I don't know how much you want to go into it. Um, but yeah, in I won't broad go strokes, too much details, like... but yeah, basically, well, first, um, we were in the city for a few days, but then we, uh, the plan was to go to Long Island for a week and just like work there and stay there at an Airbnb with friends. Um, so the city part of it also kind of sucked. Um, just cause I don't know, I'm not, Luke and I aren't that into like museums and that seemed to be the only thing that there is to do in New York. We're also not into like going out to clubs in the middle of the night, you know? Um, so it's kind of just like walking around a lot and not having anywhere to pee. So <laughs> that's our experience. Um, but then we went to this Airbnb where, where we were supposed to be staying with friends, um, and yeah, we just didn't have a good time there. There is, we realized that, you know, we're older now and we're not in college. And some of the sort of like roommate disagreements that you might have in college, we're just, it's, we're past that stage in life. And so we couldn't sleep because like people were talking and there was dog barking and there were lights coming on and off and it was 2 a.m. and we you know, we're hoping to work the next day. We were like, fuck this. And we just got up and left. Mm. So drove the wow. 10 hours back to North Carolina. Um, we didn't work that next day because we were driving, but then 
we had the rest of the week to ourselves in our normal house where everything was clean and nicely temperatured and there were no people talking and barking dogs and basically we're very misanthropic. Nice. Well, yeah. So I um, technically am a resident of New York now, but I, yeah, like I'm, I'm not, I'm not like one of these people that's going to get offended if you don't like New York and try to like <laughs> defend its, its honor. I think you're like, I think there is cool stuff here. Like I, you know, I'm often really interested in like exploring different neighborhoods and seeing like kind of historic things or like famous things, um, you know, but uh, yeah, like definitely it's not for, it's not for everyone. And it definitely has its downsides. Like a lot of things suck in New York, to be honest. Um, yeah. But yeah, anyway, <laughs> so today's episode is going to be um, maybe a bit uh, rambling and um unlike all the rest of our episodes disorganized yeah <laughs> unlike our normal um you know precision uh and organization but um i wanted to talk about abortion um and i've actually wanted to talk about this for a while um i went to a abortion rally um my wife sort of uh wanted wanted to go and i thought yeah that'll that'll be interesting so we went to one in this park in brooklyn and then everybody at the rally sort of marched over the bridge. And I think this rally happened after the Texas abortion ban law got put into place. Um, so I'm a bit hazy on the details, but I think like a few months ago, um, Texas brought in a law that was effectively banning abortions after six weeks or something like that. Um, and yeah, so I went to this rally and it was really interesting experience for me. So, so like I, you know, have this activist background and I've been to plenty of rallies in my time. You know, my, my issue was mainly climate change and environmental issues, but I went to, you know, rallies about all sorts of things. And, um, but it, it was really interesting to me because like I've had kind of a break from being heavily involved in, in social activism and kind of gone through grad school and stuff like that. And as we talked about in the last episode, I've sort of like started to feel a bit more sort of, um, distanced or disillusioned from sort of progressive like politics, like social justice activism. But this rally was really interesting to me um, because I was, you know, it, it was like a normal rally where, you know, some people were playing music and some, you know, people were handing out signs and people had sort of brought their own signs and they were all, you know, trying to be sort of witty or cutting with the, the signs and, and then there was like speeches um, and it was just sort of like one activist after another getting up and doing like 10 minute speeches where they'll just talk for a bit and then try to get some applause and then talk for a bit. And then, then there's a bit more applause and, and stuff like that. And every so often there was chanting, yada, yada, yada. But I, it really like struck me. The main thing that just struck me was like, there were no like persuasive arguments being presented like the 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 pro like choice side um sort of just has these slogans it seems to me that they just repeat ad nauseum and treat these slogans as if they're like you know knock down arguments when they're really not so like the the key the key one is it's like a woman 
has the right to decide what to do with her own body. Like, and, and this is like basically every single speaker and, you know, like I've, I've heard people talk about, you know, the only reason conservatives want to outlaw abortion is because they want to control women's bodies, you know, and stuff like that. And it's like, my body, my choice is, is the classic slogan and stuff like that. And like, it just seems to me there's like, it, it's like, okay, so if you have a specific view when you've decided that like a fetus is uh, not a person, right? So like does not have like the rights of um, a normal person um, and is is basically just the woman's body. Like, so it's not a separate person. It's just sort of almost like a, a limb of the woman, then this argument makes sense, right? Uh, but like, it seems to me that like opponents of abortion don't accept that premise. Like they don't accept that a fetus is just a part of a woman's body. And so your whole argument is just assuming this premise that a lot of people don't accept and making really no attempt to persuade anybody of that core premise. Okay. So I have two things. One is I think that you have unrealistic expectations of like protests because protests aren't really about trying to persuade the other side and like putting forth nuanced arguments about things. And that's, that's not true of like any protest, no matter what issue or what side is protesting. It's like about chanting and having like cute slogans and getting applause. Like that's just what protests are. Um, but setting aside that issue, um, there are, I don't think that I agree with your characterization of the liberal view of, uh, of pro-choice. Um, there are arguments like famously, uh, Judith Thompson's, uh, violinist argument, uh, that don't rely on dismissing the fact that a fetus is a human being or a person. Um, so in, for listeners who aren't familiar with it, Judith Thompson's argument is basically you wake up uh, in the morning and you find yourself tied to like physically attached uh, to a famous violinist who it turns out has some kidney disease. And you're the only person in the world whose kidneys uh, match them. And for some reason, instead of taking one of your kidneys out and putting it in them, they just like attached you to and, uh, in this scenario, obviously very like hypothetical um, scenario, the finalist will recover in nine months, but you have to stay attached to them. And so like your bodily autonomy is being violated to save the violinist's life. And this is supposed to like play on your intuitions and make you realize that like, no, like the violinist does have a right to life, but that right to life doesn't can't come at the cost of your right to bodily autonomy. And um, in this case, obviously the violinist is a fully fledged person. So it's not, so I think like that would be the more of the steelman argument um, where obviously like there are people who say like fetuses have no, they're, they're just like a collection of cells. They're not a person. And I think that probably is true at some stages of development, but I'm just saying like that argument doesn't really depend on that premise. All right. So to your first point, I kind of disagree. Like I, part of the reason 
I went to rallies was to sort of like hear the best versions of arguments. And like uh, oftentimes when, you know, we were having rallies against sort of proposed new coal-fired power plants, there would be a lot more coherent arguments made where it would be like, well, this person on the other side says this and this, and this is why they're wrong. Like this organization says this, this, you know. And so I often like did like speeches where there was like strong arguments made and strong counter arguments made against opposition views. So like, I think, yeah, a lot of the time you're probably right, but in my experience, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be like that. And I think it's a lot more productive if it's not like that and people do. And so secondly, like, I mean, there's, there are some issues with the violinist argument that we could get into, but I don't think, I don't think that is a mainstream liberal talking point, right? Like, so when you hear talking heads talk about abortion, it'll just be like, this is about a woman's right to choose. This is about a woman's right to um, do what she wants with her body. Nobody ever says, and I think a woman's right to bodily autonomy is more important than the life of But I think that's kind of, I think that's like implied because like, the reason that they don't add anything after that, they just say this is about a woman's right to choose and bodily autonomy and like women's choice is because it doesn't matter if the fetus has personhood or not, or if they have like, you know, a moral status or potential to become a person, like all of that stuff that you can argue about, like what week does it happen? Is it from conception, whatever, all that stuff in a sense doesn't matter. And that's why they don't talk about it because all that matters is that like this, it's a woman's body and a woman's right to choose. I mean, I just realized we've been saying woman this whole time and like, we should be saying person and people because yeah, we're going to, yeah. I'll edit the all, all woman (laughs) out in this. We should like censor it. Yes. (laughs) All right. So your intuition, so your intuition is that like, regardless of whether a fetus is a person, um, the fact that they depend on the parents like that. So the the fact that they depend on the parents for survival establishes that, you know, the woman's right to autonomy just trumps whatever rights an unborn fetus might have. I mean, so I'm, I'm kind of making a claim about like what other people think and sort of like, what's the main talking point. Um, and like, I'm not very confident about this. I don't know. I, I think that it'd be interesting to see research on like uh, what people actually think about that. And like, but it's just like my, pers- my perception of the reason that like, why, uh, you know, like pro-choice, mm. like why that's the slogan is mm. just because like the, mm. the life question doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and it's also because it's like uh, well, hard to it doesn't know. matter I think like hmm. yeah it, it. I don't really believe in like absolute rights and rights trumping other rights right like so like if you if you are basically saying well in this case woman's right to autonomy uh, trumps fetuses right to life like re- regardless of whether we consider the fetus a person or 
or not a person or to have that right. So like, even if, even if the fetus is a person, the woman's right to autonomy trumps its right to life. Um, I don't think it, it quite works. Right. So if you, if you, yeah. And I, I stumbled on this point when we were talking, talking to Yoel last week, but I think like anytime you try to make an argument that one right completely trumps another right, you get into really like weird, like absurd conclusions. So, so for example, one thing I was thinking of at that rally is like, like how, how far do you think like bodily autonomy goes and, and how far do you think it like actually trumps like whatever rights you might, uh, you might think a fetus has. Right. So like, say there's a woman who like is a sadist, right. And she like just enjoys inflicting pain on her unborn baby. Right. So punching it, prodding it, like doing, doing whatever she can, like electrocuting it or whatever. Like, and I know this is an absurd example, but I think it gets to my point. I, my intuition is most people would think that she's doing something like morally wrong. Right. Like, and, and if she tried to say, well, it, it doesn't matter that I'm hurting this being like and inflicting pain on this child, because it's my body, right? And I can choose what to do with my body. So I'm curious what you think about that. And if you think like that does sort of spark the intuition that, yeah, like, well, you, you've you already sort of acknowledged that like, yeah, it, like met- metaphysically there is sort of another being in play. Like a fetus is not like a limb of, of a woman, but does it spark on you like that, like maybe the baby's interests have some moral weight and aren't like completely trumped by the, the right of a woman to autonomy. Um, yeah, but I think that, so I think that, um, torturing the fetus is much worse than killing it. Like, I think that, you know, you should be able to, to terminate a pregnancy um, because you don't want to have a baby. But that doesn't mean that you should be allowed to like torture the fetus. And like, because it's not, it's not your body. Right. Um, when we say like a pro, like a woman's right to choose and bodily autonomy, we're talking about like the parts of her body that are her body, her uterus, her like, you know, her own physical body. We're not talking about the fetus. And so if you're talking about like torturing the fetus, then that's not about like, you know, it's like saying it, it would be the same as in, saying with like, abortion, you're talking about like killing the fetus. Right. Because the fetus is holding your uterus hostage. It's like, you know, it, it's uh, sitting there when you don't want it to be. Um, so you're, you're evicting it essentially. And the, in evicting it, you're killing it, but that's mm. very different from, you know, is it? And, and how, because like, if, if the argument you're relying on for the justification of like killing the fetus, um, it does rest on your bodily autonomy, trumping the rights or like any, any sort of moral weight that, the fetus has what why does that 
apply to killing the fetus, but it doesn't apply to harming the fetus. I'm well, not I mean, think about it. Like, I mean, let's continue with this sort of metaphor of eviction. Okay. So let's say you're a landlord, you have an apartment and you have a tenant living there um, and you want to evict them because I don't know, they haven't been paying rent or they're destroying the property or whatever. Um, legally and morally, you're allowed to evict them, but that doesn't mean you can walk in to their to the apartment and start torturing them, right? Like that, those are very different things. Um, so, so yeah, I don't know. I don't really know what to say other than this is just like a completely different. Yeah, I guess like the I'm willing to concede that that might be a valid difference. I, like I can't I can't think of a good counter argument to that now. But how would you respond to like? the point that's well you know the baby is dependent the baby is dependent on the mother like it's it's in a in a tenant that's like 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 a tenant that um is unwelcome um in the sense that like it it's dependent on the mother for survival and it's requiring all these resources from the mother and, and stuff like that um this is the same like after the baby's born right the the baby's still dependent on the mother, but we have, you know, obviously if a mother kills a newborn baby because it doesn't want these drains on its time and attention, um, we consider that wrong. Right. Yeah. So I, I mean, I don't know. I feel, I feel like I'm at the extreme end of this. I probably, I wouldn't consider that very wrong. Um, it's, I mean, whatever, but I'm going to, we're I'm going to take the position of a normal person here and say, yeah, that's, that's wrong. Um, but it's different because the, I disagree with you. Like the baby is not actually dependent on the mom for survival at that point. Uh, we have, you know, formula and uh, other like moms could breastfeed it. Um, Mm. and so, uh, yeah, like, it's not, there's in it's in no way dependent on the mom for survival and if you just removed it and gave it to a different family it would be fine Mm. yeah um probably true as well uh okay so a couple of threads here so like one is the your argument basically is the law right which is like the law is based on viability to the extent that a baby can be removed from the womb and have a good chance of survival, that's the point at which the current law under like Roe v. Wade um, outlaws abortion, right? So most states have it now at like 22 weeks. There's only a few states in the U.S. that, that um, sort of uh, allow abortion um, for sort of any reason past, past that point. Um, I was having an interesting discussion with a friend that was, he was kind of pointing out something pretty interesting, which is that like the current sort of law of the land is really dependent on medical technology. So it's uh, like that, that point at which a baby is viable, like outside the womb and can survive could change. And in theory, we could develop artificial wombs that could keep a baby at any age alive um, outside the mother at which point it wouldn't be um, it wouldn't be dependent on on the mother for survival, 
And at which point, the, under the current sort of legal framework, which is sort of based on viability, based on Roe v. Wade in this later case, I believe, um, involving Planned Parenthood, which I don't know too much of the details of. Um, yeah, that that would uh, lead to the outlawing of abortion. I'm curious, like, what you think about that? Like, what what would your intuitions be there? Like, if if these fetus feti fetuses were not uh, were not technically dependent, and like a newborn, you could just give it to somebody else, or like put it in an artificial womb and stuff like that. Do you then morally think like? At that point, does abortion become an immoral choice? Or at that point, yeah, would you still think a woman should have the right to choose whether the baby dies or is kept alive in an artificial womb? Yeah. So, again, uh, it's hard. I'm going to try to separate my two selves, my sort of, like, crazy self (laughs) As extreme views. This is good, yeah. Like, I want to hear what you actually think, but also, like, what what you think the steel man version of the... Yeah. So, like, the, what I actually think is, like, human lives, when they're at the stage of babies, are, like, basically worthless and interchangeable. And, like, it's just, like, a, a point of data. It's not, like, a human being. Um, it's not a person and people should have the right to choose if they want to have like offspring in the world, like, and, and, you know, even if they're going to give it up for adoption or, you know, someone else is going to care for it, whatever, if they don't, if let's say they have ideological reasons, say they don't want to contribute to overpopulation, even though that's not really a thing or, um, they just really hate themselves and don't want other people that are like them to be in the world or for whatever reasons, like they don't want to give their parents the satisfaction of having grandchildren out there, whatever it is, like they should be able to decide whether they have offspring or not. And um, like, what about, the, it? what about if the father did want it and the mother didn't want it? Yeah. I think in those cases, it's more complicated. And I would say like, yeah, it's it's complicated, but I'd say like I would err on the side of if someone does want it, then they should be able mm. to have it. Um, this is a completely different argument you're making. This is not about bodily autonomy at all. I know. Like, I know. Well, how would you characterize this? This is more just like like absolute rights of parents to decide if a potential. Well, offspring should exist or not yeah and again like this is this is just me talking um mm. <laughs> and i think that um it comes down to like like where i started which is that the like babies are meaningless worthless like okay so let's lost. explore this because no this is really interesting because so peter Singer, i love this babies is, by the way this is <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't have given Hugo to you <laughs> to no, hold no. at that coffee shop if I positions <laughs> on the meaninglessness of his life. No, so um, let's explore this though, because Peter Singer, this is his view, uh, which is essentially that um, uh, a fetus is not a person um, for all these reasons that you're outlining. Like it doesn't 
doesn't have self-awareness. Uh, it's not sort of making memories, yada, 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 like all these things, uh, rationality is not making plans, uh, all these things that, you know, people have sort of decided, I think in a somewhat post-hoc way, are necessary conditions for, to consider something a person. So it's just like this sort of, you know, like social construct that we've come up with that there's this thing of a person and, and fetuses don't qualify, but he also is willing to like go to the logical conclusion and admit that, well, newborn babies don't qualify either. And that the point at which a baby becomes a person is sometime after birth. So he, he argues that infanticide should be as legal as abortion. So if a baby is born and there's some defect or I guess like any, any reason, um, it turns out that, you know, the, the parents don't want it, then like abortion, um, it, it's not murder, right? Like it's not murder. It's not the same as, as killing uh, an adult. And you, um, you seem to like uh, agree with that. I mean, it was, it's a, it's an interesting thing. Cause like, I respect Peter Singer's ability, like his willingness just to follow an argument to its logical conclusion. Um, and I wonder like, you know, he, he's taken all these sort of interesting moral positions. And I think like it made him controversial, but it also made him, you know, very famous and, mm-hmm. and successful. Um, but yeah, like, I think a lot of people struggle with that just because of strong moral intuitions that, that like, it's wrong to kill newborn babies. Like how would that, how would you do it? Like, just like envisaging like, giving some newborn baby a lethal injection or uh, putting it in a gas chamber or, or something like that. Especially when, you know, like there are plenty of people willing to adopt babies. Like there's, there's fewer like babies up for adoption than people who want to adopt babies. Um, so yeah, like at, I mean, at, at that point, I think you can make arguments that, yeah, I don't know. Like, how how do you sort of I know like you seem to you probably have those intuitions that it would be there's something like morally wrong with infanticide. Like so take China for example, where like um or India where I don't know how much it goes on anymore, but like data shows that statistically there's a lot fewer women than would be expected uh by 50-50 chance or slightly more than 50 percent chance of having a female baby so um strong suspicion that a lot of uh, female babies are are killed at birth um like are you condoning that like do you think that that's cool i don't yeah i don't think that i don't think i do have the intuition that it's immoral um i think that when it's forced upon the parents or the mom like if Again, like if someone wants the baby and you're killing their baby, that's that's bad. You should not do that because it's like it's their baby. But if everyone involved is like, yeah, we should just get rid of this one um, for whatever reason. I my intuition is that that's fine. Like I would feel like if I saw that happening, I would I would be sad. I would be upset. I would probably be disgusted but i but like Mm. i wouldn't think that it's immoral all right interesting so i have a couple of questions for you right so when when you sort of make this argument and say like if something is not 
like rational. It's not self-aware. Um, it's okay to kill it. Like on, on one hand, I kind of agree, right? Like, so if I think about somebody who has incurred like huge brain damage and they're just in a vegetative state, right? Uh, I think it's fine to pull the plug, right? And I think like most people have that intuition and legally in most parts of the world, like if somebody is in a vegetative state, you can pull the plug. However, if they're in a vegetative state and there's a chance that they'll come out of it and sort of regain consciousness and rationality and planning and, and sort of personhood. So this it's a body in a vegetative state doesn't have personhood currently as, as we would define it, but is likely to gain personhood in the future. I think most people have the intuition that you shouldn't pull the plug. So I'm curious, like, if you have an infant who has not yet attained personhood, but if sort of cared for and left alone will likely attain personhood, isn't that sort of more like the later case of the vegetable who is likely to come out of the coma? So one difference is that before the person went into a coma, they were a person and they had the desire to live and they had goals and it, like ambitions, whatever they um, were fully a person. And then, you know, yeah, but so was the vegetable who's not going to recover. Right. So, but I think like, but both vegetables are different from a baby who never was a person uh, like to begin with. So in the case of um, someone who's a vegetable, I would say like, yeah, it's fine to pull the plug should sort of weigh the the statistical probabilities of uh, whether they'll recover or not. And if it's unlikely, then, you know, it's, you should do it. If it is very uncertain, um, I would say like, it depends on how much resources they're using and on the desires of their like family. And if, you know, if it seems like, like it's a, you know, you could toss a coin and like, who knows if they're ever going to wake up, but also you're spending like thousands of dollars keeping them alive and everyone's suffering from this like uncertainty. And it would be better if you just pull the plug. I would, I would be fine with just pulling the plug. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But what if it was pretty likely? Cause in the case of an infant, it's, it's very likely that they'll gain right but again i think the difference right? is like that they were a person before so if it's likely yeah, that but, they'll wake up again then it's just like that's the same as just like if you go to sleep you know it's likely that you'll what, wake up it seems to me that that's like it's not clear to me why that makes a moral difference right so you're saying like in the case of a baby who's not a person but will become a person uh, there's no problem pulling the plug it, like, it's not, it's not sort of, it's not killing, but in the case of a vegetable who previously was conscious and planning stuff and is now vegetative and is likely to regain it, it is, it is killing. It's not clear to me why the person's past makes a moral difference in the case. It seems to me that the, the reason most people would intuit that it's wrong to pull the plug is based on the future that you're depriving the vegetable of not the case that, Oh, well, you're pulling the plug off this individual who has a past and used to be conscious because that doesn't matter at all in the case where the vegetable is not going to recover. 
Yeah. So I think that what it is, is um, when there's a past, when they like have already lived and they've become a developed person um, now that they're in a coma, that's sort of like, it's just an interrupted state of the trajectory of their life. And like that, like, it's just like a temporary thing. Um, and if we wouldn't, if we wouldn't kill them before they were in a coma, then we shouldn't kill them if they're in a coma, if they're going to get out of it. Um, and I think it's, it's just like, like you wouldn't kill someone who, when they go to sleep, just because like, you know, like it's basically the same thing. Right. Well, I wouldn't, <laughs> um, I wouldn't either probably <laughs> <laughs> just for the record. Uh, but yeah, I think that like that, I guess like the potential of a baby isn't like real until it's been like actually realized to some extent Mm. like they haven't ever yeah i don't know that's again like this is this is just Mm. uh my my weird intuitions but um yeah it's interesting i think like it's probably your weakest argument so far the yeah the interrupted part yeah it's not not clear to me why that makes a moral difference i mean obviously like the person before they became a vegetable could have formed all sorts of attachments and have all sorts of people in the world who love them uh etc which might like carry moral weight in your decision to pull the plug because you'd be doing harm to those people but they, they could be despised by everyone as well um uh in but you know legally it'd probably still be seen as problematic to uh, pull the plug when there's high likelihood of them recovering. I think like, yeah, I don't understand why you would say the potential is not real of a baby. Like the meaning of the word potential. Yeah. Like, like it's real potential. Like it's, it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's maybe what it, comes down to and like i'm not really sure because again it's like just my intuition i agree like i'm not giving i'm not doing a good job like arguing for my case because i don't really have an argument because it's just my intuition but um doing trying to do some post-talk reasoning here i'd say like with a baby like anything could happen like yeah they could turn into a nice normal fully functioning adult uh they could also not they could Mm. like have some debilitating illness in childhood they could turn into yeah, a sociopath most people, most people don't want to die though like most people value their lives yeah even though existence is suffering uh and the world is <laughs> terrible like suicide's still pretty rare most people will um not willingly be killed and have their lives ended yeah, so I was thinking about like that sort of one thought I had when you were talking about the the difference between inflicting pain on a fetus versus killing it. Like if you were given the choice, like I would I would prefer, for example, that somebody inflicted pain on me in the womb than killed me. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, so, I mean, yeah, you would prefer. Uh, like there's a sort of like, there's a survivorship bias here. Like the only, the only people who can say whether 
they would want to uh, have been kept alive are the ones who are were kept alive. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you if you had been aborted, you wouldn't exist. You wouldn't know, and you wouldn't care because there would be no you. So I think it's that's an unfair thing to say. Like that, I'm glad I was born. Sure, anyone mm-hmm. who's who is alive was glad they were born. But like, you can't say anything about the people who weren't born. Hmm. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if that works. I mean, the like, you can't. Everybody who was murdered after being born is not here to tell us that that wasn't their preference either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe they all really wanted it. Uh, and now that they're dead in, in eternal peace, they're much happier, but we don't, we don't know, but like, we don't, that doesn't. But we know like from when they were alive, that they wanted to be alive. The the fetus never. Sure. Maybe. Yeah. So anyway, the the other point I wanted to raise was to go back to the, um, the sickly violinist argument. Cause you know, like moral philosophers, um, have thought, you know, of a lot of extensions on that scenario. And and the biggest, most obvious problem with it is that in most cases, when a woman gets pregnant, the situation is not analogous to being kidnapped and and waking up like um, strapped to a bed and attached to a sickly violinist. It's um, other philosophers kind of said, well, you know, this is this is not really analogous to the situation. And then they thought of new thought experiments where it's like, okay, so the woman sort of uh, went into this bargain where like she was going to do something uh, that she wanted to do and she was going to get, you know, pleasure out of it um, or some, some benefits, some money or something like that. Uh, But she also knew going in that there was a risk. There was a small risk that she would be, she would wake up attached to a sickly violinist and their survival would depend on her. And then, you know, so the woman sort of knowingly takes this risk once, once the benefit thinks that the risk is quite low, that she's going to be attached to the violinist, wakes up attached to the violinist and then just says, well, you know, this is not my responsibility. My bodily autonomy is more important than this violinist. So bad luck, bad luck, violinist, you, you die because my bodily autonomy is more important. So then, uh, so the argument is that, um, moral intuitions kind of shift in this case uh, and that it's kind of seen as well. Like, yeah, like, yeah, you're, you're strapped, you're strapped to this violinist uh, and it's dependent on you, but you did like knowingly put yourself at some risk of being attached, um, attached to this violinist. And that creates um, more of a moral obligation yes, like there was a low probability and you were unlucky, but now this violinist is depending on you for survival and you knew that this was a possibility. Therefore, you have a responsibility um, to spend nine months uh, strapped to it. Um, what, are, what are your thoughts? Does, does the fact that, yeah, it's, it's, it's not, it's mo- most of the time it's not a kidnapping. It's more just of like, a slight, a slight risk, uh, and sort of an unlucky, um, outcome that the woman knew was possible. Uh, I mean, I think that that's a good argument. Um, but it's not, I mean, 
I think that it's it would be unreasonable to tell women that they should just never have sex if they uh, you know, don't want to get pregnant, especially given like the expectations in society, in Western society at least, to like have sex whenever you're dating. Um, and like that, it doesn't, so it seems more like it's not... Um, like the more relevant comparison with the violinist case would be like if you choose to sleep in a bed then you know there's going to be a risk of you getting uh, a violinist attached to you you know there's a small risk but it, it might happen and so you should just never sleep in a bed unless you want to risk that but like that's unreasonable like people sleep in beds people have sex part of our daily lives so like yeah but yeah no i think that's that's fair um um, but i do want to talk about rape uh fun hmm. topic um (laughs) because i am puzzled by this uh why people make a distinction between pregnancies that are the result of rape or not um I think that if you are a pro-life anti-abortion person, you should be against abortion no matter what, because like presumably your reasoning is that the fetus is a human being. It's a person. It deserves moral rights and you can't kill it. That shouldn't matter if its father is a rapist or not. Like, why is that relevant? And if you do care... Okay. Yeah. But like, if you do care about the woman, you know, not choosing to have the baby because she was raped, she also also didn't choose to have the baby because she was having sex that wasn't forced. Like, what what's the relevant difference here? I don't get it. Uh, I think like the intuition is just that like it's uh, it has bearing on a woman's right to claim that like you know, there's this unfair restriction on her bodily autonomy uh, to have to carry the baby to term, right? So it's not it's not really, like, affecting the, the baby's rights side of the argument. It's more, like, weakening the woman's argument as to, to her rights. So bodily autonomy only matters if the woman was raped, essentially. Most people do think it matters, like, whether you, like, yeah, I get, actually not, like, people don't think it matters, like, if you get raped, but you were walking through a really dangerous neighborhood at a at really late time at night, um, logically, you did put yourself at higher risk, but that doesn't, that's not seen as morally, like, relevant to oh, it depends who you your ask. bodily autonomy. What's that? I feel like that depends who you ask. I think people you think? might say that 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 it's relevant. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm not convinced by this. I think that people, I think what it is, is just like people are inconsistent and they haven't really thought it through. And they just have this intuition that like they'd be, I think like the people who are pro-life are like, don't want to be seen as monsters. And so they they just are like, you know, obviously if a woman's raped, then it's different. Mm. But no, it's not. 
it's not different. Um, and if you really care about the life of the fetus, then like whether the woman was raped or not should have no bearing. And mm. um, yeah, and and I think that like again that like choosing to have sex that's just like a normal part of life. So I don't think that that uh, yeah mm. I don't know I don't buy that argument. Mm. So would you be are you like against? So if a man gets a woman pregnant um, and he wants the child, he wants a woman to have abortion and, and she says no. Uh, and then would you be like on his side if he said, well, my autonomy, like I, you can't expect me not to have sex. Right. But my bodily autonomy, um, like I shouldn't have to pay child support. So, like, you know. Yeah, I think that he shouldn't have to pay child support. I don't think mm. that he can force her to have an abortion because like if she wants the baby, she should be able to have it. Um, mm. But yeah, it's, he shouldn't have to pay child support. He didn't want the baby. She's, it's not, so I, I don't think, I mean, this is a whole separate issue of like women's rights versus the mm. like father's rights. And, but the, even though the, the woman is the one carrying the baby. Like there are two people who are involved in making it and they should both be involved in like deciding what happens to it. And when people disagree, like, I don't think that men should be forced into uh, fatherhood if they don't want that. So if they want to just like walk away and not have anything to do with it, that's fine. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I struggle to see a problem with that argument. Yeah, I mean, ideally, it's they would definitely... like communicate that to the woman, you know, maybe before they have sex. Like, you know, by the way, if we accidentally get pregnant, I'm not going to support you in any way. And uh, mm -hmm. yeah, but. Cool. Yeah. So I guess like. Um, you've done a pretty good job answering all my <laughs> questions. I think like, I, yeah. I don't, yeah. So let's, let's move on. We've, we've, we've gone through the whole moral philosophy thing. And I think, yeah, both of us come down on the pro-choice side. Like I've, you know, I've tried, I've tried my best pro-life is <laughs> to like put calls in this, but I think like you have pretty good responses. Um, so yeah, like the response has been really interesting on a, on a number of levels. Like what, what's kind of, stood out to you about okay so yeah the one thing i just happened to see this yesterday after we decided to do um, this topic because i really haven't been following it very closely but there was this tweet that went viral um and then there was an article written about it about how women should stop tracking their menstrual cycles using like apps mm. for tracking because their data would be sold to or to people or or it could be subpoenaed by a court hmm. um and i guess it didn't like really go into detail about how that would play out and like what it's being subpoenaed for but i guess to prove that you were pregnant and therefore prove that you have gotten an abortion in the case where it's illegal which is absolutely ridiculous for so many reasons. <laughs> so I have a rant about this, but does that, yeah. Should, should I just go on my rant? You should. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't seem that crazy to me, like that far-fetched. Um, 
Yeah. When you okay. So the whole like, like selling data thing that does happen and it's, it's not far-fetched. Um, and if you don't want your data sold to companies who are going to use it for ads or whatever, like, yeah, you shouldn't use any app because that's what's ha- like, you know, um, but in case of like it being used legally, I don't see how that would work. Like that is just is so far-fetched to me because first of all, many women's cycles are not regular. Like, and so the fact that also, okay. So like the fact that like a woman didn't log a period four weeks after her previous period means absolutely nothing. She could have an irregular cycle. She could like, that's, you know, regularly irregular. It's just like, doesn't happen um, on a regular basis. Or it could be that, you know, that particular month there was like stress or different exercise or different diet or medication or like a million other things that can affect when you uh, menstruate. But she could have also just like forgotten to like log her period. Like there's so many ways to poke holes in this that, I can like mm. name like 20 off the top of my head. Mm. There's no way that would be admissible in court as evidence that, uh, that, that she was pregnant. Mm. Well, okay. What about like the situation where, um, you know, Roe v. Wade gets overturned uh, and different States bring in very different legislations. Although interestingly, the, the law that the decision is about, is only trying to shift the boundary back from 22 to 15 weeks. That's the, that's the Mississippi law that's bringing like Roe v. Wade in front of the Supreme court, which is apparently like six, 6% of like it's, I was actually surprised to, to hear that because it's like, Oh, that, that, that sounds like, okay. 22 weeks, well, 15 weeks. Yeah. Like, but I think like if Roe v. Wade is overturned, then other laws that uh, oh, yeah. restricted at earlier points will then become much easier to be enacted and like yeah that and that seems likely so like yeah so you get this situation where different states are have very different laws and it definitely seems to be the case that conservative states are not just like the texas example for uh they weren't just saying you can't get an abortion in texas um they're really trying to prevent people leaving the state or like aiding other people to leave the state to get abortions as well. Right. So like, let's say, hmm, let's say the government is secretly tracking uh, like menstruation data. Um, Like, is it that crazy that some conservative state might want to use that data and like monitor people, monitor people's movements and monitor people's sort of contacts with organizations that sort of help organize interstate interstate travel to get abortions, stuff like that? I mean, it seems unlikely to me, but I'm, but I'm fine with saying like, sure, they're going to try. Let's yeah. say, let's assume for yeah. that. They're going to try their best to use this data in a way that is helpful for them to prosecute women. Mm. It's just not going to work. Mm. Like aside from the fact that cycles are irregular, there's also the fact that miscarriages are super, Mm. super common Mm. in the first Mm. uh, like six weeks of pregnancy. Like there's like a, it Mm. depends on the data you look at, but it can be like between 50%, 30% chance of 
miscarriage, which is really Mm -hmm. high. And so like you can maybe, maybe try to prove that a woman was pregnant if she had very regular cycles and like, you can really prove that, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever, but how is the data from the app going to prove that she had an abortion versus Mm. a regular miscarriage? Mm. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I I wonder, like, I mean, a lot of people have said this and I think it's true is that if you do um, make abortion illegal, all all you're going to do is like take us back to the old days of backyard abortions and coat hangers and, and stuff like that. And I, I think that's probably true. Um, so yeah, like, I wonder like how you would prove that like something happened to a fetus, how you would try to prove that it's not, it wasn't a miscarriage. Like it was, it was an abortion. Like it it seems like hard, almost impossible. Cause like it's, it's something that would be done in a private home. The yeah. And obviously like, yeah, it would, you'd still get abortions. You'd probably get a lot of women dying or having severe medical problems from trying to do it on their own. Um, Yeah. I think it's like, it's actually kind of dystopian. I know. Yeah. It's so crazy thinking about it. Yeah. And the the benefit, like if you're pro-life, like, I mean, the benefit, like even, even if you accept that, oh, well, you know, those, some women might do that, but we might save some, some fetuses, some women might just accept it to be like, okay, I'll bring this fucking baby into the world. And like, and like, I just think like the societal benefit of banning it is so slim. I mean, like maybe like, I don't know, in our last pod, Yoel Imba said like, you should never kill an innocent life, no matter what the the benefit for the greater good. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, maybe if you have this extreme view that like, yeah, like if we save just one life, um that'll make it all worthwhile but i don't know i just think like yeah the real arguments against the real argument for abortion i think is a utilitarian one and it's just that society's better uh for everybody if you allow it um louis ck kind of said that too he's he's like he's got this bit that's pretty funny he's like it's either abortion is totally murder and we should totally let women do it um (laughs) Cause that's just, that's the way that's just best for everybody. Yeah, yeah. So I, that, yeah, that's an interesting one. I mean, I think like it's, it's probably just somebody like sort of the chance to have a viral tweet. The, the one that stood but out also, to me. Wait, sorry. One last thing yeah, on this ahead. is just that like tracking period tracking apps are really useful for a lot of women. Like they, you know, help you keep track of when your period is and the doctor, Mm. every time you go to a doctor Mm. as a woman, the doctor asks, when was your last menstrual period? And it's like relevant for some reason. And it makes it a lot. (laughs) I know. Doctors are really nosy. I always want to know. Do you, have you noticed they always want to know what you do, like what your profession is? I would yeah. love one time just to, to just say like, it's none of your business. This is not relevant. Well, yeah, I went, I went in for like a physical therapy thing and he asked me and then he was like, yeah, I just want to make sure that you're not like a med student or something. And then I'd be like explaining to you like how <sighs> the spine works and then you'd be like laughing at me. So I <laughs> thought that was fine. But um, yeah. So what was I going to say about this? I don't remember. Keep going. Yeah. The the one that stood out to me where I just like 
I don't know, like it, I just, with progressives, it's like, I'm actually on your side on this issue, but you still just manage to like annoy the shit out of me and like not, <laughs> oh, yeah. not make me want to sign your stupid petitions. Anyway. Yeah. Like that's another thing. Like I've gotten 20 emails asking me to sign a petition about this. And it's just like, what, what's that going to do guys? Like, go like, come on, come on. Like yeah. if, if you want to, like, if you want to protect the right to abortion, you know, first of all, like, you know, it, it, it's about, nobody's persuading anybody on this issue. So it's about like politics and it's about like having uh, progressive justices in the Supreme court and yada, yada, yada. So, you know, um, what's her petition anyway the 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 thing that stood out to me was like how much people were saying oh my god this is just the start um they're gonna ban they're gonna try to ban gay marriage they're gonna try to ban interracial marriage yeah how did they get there i saw what? that yeah man all right i mean i yeah so like but, um i highly recommend um barry weist uh, um good podcast with the constitutional scholar uh about Roe v. Wade and it was really interesting because this guy basically made the argument that like Alito's right like it it actually is true that there's nothing in the constitution about second trimester abortion like the constitution doesn't protect that right like technically legally it's not this is not a right protected by the constitution therefore it should be up to the states by the law of the land and that roe was kind of wrongly decided and for like pragmatic social like reasons um and he was pretty convincing in that respect but you know i don't like i don't know enough about the like us constitution to make um strong arguments there but like one one thing he was saying is that like in in his mind there is a pretty clear distinction between like abortion and second trimester and things like gay marriage and interracial marriage, because the constitution, while it doesn't say anything about second trimester or abortion, it does say a lot about equality uh, and equal rights. Right. So like that, the, there's a much stronger argument that the constitution protects uh, the right to like interracial marriage and gay marriage and stuff like that. So I, I actually think those two are quite different because I, I could see conservatives trying to ban gay marriage in very conservative states interracial marriage no fucking way like there's just no way and i think like to honestly think that conservative legislatures are going to try to ban interracial marriage in 2022 like it really shows how how lowly uh liberals think of conservatives in this country and it it reminded me of some of the research that you sort of talked about the first time you were on the pod about how mistaken we are about the policy preferences of our um, our political opponents and people on yeah. the other side of politics. And it just seems to me that, like, to believe that, like, it just, like, it's like, do you know any conservative, like, do you, have you spent any time in conservative parts of the country and, like, to like talking to people? Do you have, it just seems so out I mean, of touch and polarised and... yeah. I think there are still conservatives out there who are opposed to interracial marriage, but they're very few and far between. And it's definitely not the mainstream view. And like, yeah, I mean, polling puts approval of interracial marriage at like 96% now or something like that. Yeah, it's like, how do you both think that conservatives are pretending to be colorblind mm. and think that they are, uh, are opposed to interracial marriage? Like, like, I yeah, think that, really 
the mainstream conservative view is the colorblind view where it's like, I don't see race. In other words, I don't care about race. I don't want to care about race. I'm going to ignore all racial disparities or whatever, because race doesn't matter. You can't think that and also think I'm opposed to interracial marriage. Yeah, It just doesn't work. Yeah. I mean, that's like, it's such an extreme thing. Like that's like Richard Spencer level like yeah i mean what and I'd, I'd argue also that the like anti like gay marriage is also not a conservative mainstream view like cons- there has been a big shift over the past like 10 years or so and most conservatives i think i might be wrong about this but last time i remember looking into mm. this most conservatives are fine with gay marriage like mm. they've just come to accept it and uh you know in terms of fighting against lgbt issues they're much more focused on anti-trans mm. stuff yeah. than they are uh anti-gay marriage and that's an interesting thing about abortion too right because on a lot of these issues interracial marriage gay marriage you know gay gay rights there's been huge cultural shifts right like and and the norm has changed even since the time of obama right like didn't like obama said ma- marriage should be a man and a woman or something like that. And like, but now you're the average median conservative accepts gay marriage on abortion. Nobody like there's been no cultural change. It seems since the seventies, like people are not being convinced by the other side at all in the same way that like has happened with interracial marriage and gay marriage. And I'm curious why that is. And I, I just wonder if it's, yeah, like why, why has it been possible to change the median conservative on something like interracial marriage and gay marriage, but not abortion? And I I don't know. Like, yeah. Are you sure it hasn't, I haven't looked at any polls. Has it really not shifted at all? God damn it. Time out. Okay, so we found a few um, large-scale surveys over time that um, suggested that I was exactly right, and it hasn't <laughs> changed much over time. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't you arguing against stop that. <laughs> questioning me. I just wanted to know for sure, you know, because, you you know, just Always in case right. we're making it up. But, yeah, no, I think that I, it is interesting. Um, yeah, so the, the one um, uh, that we were looking at suggested that the percentage of people who say abortion should be illegal in all circumstances has not really changed since 1975. 21% of people, according to Gallup, um, supported that position in 1975. In 2021, it was 19% of people. The proportion who say it should be legal only under certain circumstances has gone down slightly from 54% to 48% over that um, like 45 year period. And the proportion who say it should be legal under any circumstances has gone up slightly from 22% to 32%. So nothing like the cultural change on gay marriage or um, interracial marriage or other sort of cultural issues. Yeah. I am curious why. Um, and I think it's just, I think it's, I don't know, like it, I do think part of it is that the sides just argue past each other and like just accept premises and never like 
argue for premises that the other side. But like, why wouldn't that have been true with gay marriage? Or I mean, maybe with the gay marriage, like the reason Mm. that it shifted was because of the legal change. Mm. And that sort of like normalized it. Um, Shouldn't that have happened with abortion? I mean, is it that people don't talk about abortion? Like, it's not like, you know, with gay marriage, like you meet gay couples and there's, you can't not know that they're a gay couple and have that experience. But like people don't get direct experience of abortion, like helping somebody live a better life. Like it's all sort of done in yeah, secret. And I don't know. It's a weird one though. So I have a, like an auntie on my wife's side who is anti-abortion and she's just like Catholic. Like, and it's just, that's what she's taught at her choice. And I mean, interestingly she had an abortion when she was younger and i think like like her experiences like guilt and regret about it after becoming more religious as she's gotten older but i mean she's a really nice person like she just is taught that like life begins at conception um and a baby has the right to life and god doesn't want god doesn't want us to kill fetuses and she just she just buys into that. So like when I hear people say like, there's this woman on, I think on John Stewart once who was either John Stewart or uh, Trevor Noah, um, who was just saying that like, no, this is not about, this is not about saving like unborn children. This is about controlling women's bodies. This is what mm-hmm. conservatives want to do. All they want to do is control women's bodies. This is about power and control and the patriarchy. And I was like, fuck you. Like, that's not true at all. Like, like maybe some people, but I like, think it's that they don't care as much about that as a side effect. Right. Like, but to say that that's their goal, like that they're, you know, they wake up in the morning and all they can think about is how do I restrict women's bodily autonomy? That's just yeah. ridiculous. I think so too. I mean, it definitely doesn't describe my auntie. So I just, I don't know. I just wish people would make better arguments. And I think like, like give, give the real arguments, give the more complex nuanced argument where there's, you know, maybe like there's competing, competing interests, but like overall, this is just as good for society in many, many ways. Um, And, you know, much sort of fairer uh, uh, on women. than like saying like, yeah, if you want to have sex, you have to run this risk of like spending nine months growing again. Cause that's another thing too. Like, so people, people at this rally and I actually liked, I liked these signs more than most where people have these signs saying like, if men got pregnant, we wouldn't even be having this discussion, uh, which I think is totally true, like totally true, but it's also not, it's not a compelling moral argument, right? Like, like, cause it's, it's almost saying, uh, yeah, if men got pregnant, they would make a self-interested decision to protect their autonomy and legalize abortion. And it wouldn't be a discussion. it's like, yeah, totally. They would do that. That doesn't mean <laughs> that it's right necessarily. Right. Like, and you're almost admitting that, no, this is, this is about self-interest and, um, we're, we have bias, we're biased on this, on this question. Uh, and if men were, you know, if men were biased, we wouldn't be having a debate. But I think it's true. Yeah. It's true. It's just not a moral argument. Yeah, I agree. Um, okay, last one, last thing to make fun of. 
I'm not mocking, by the way. I still stand against uh, my, you know, I still have a moral opposition to mocking people, but it's okay to make fun of uh, posts that are ridiculous. <laughs> uh, so there, there was the ACLU one, which I think you shared with me, oh, yeah. um, saying that a restricting abortion disproportionately affects, and then there was like a long list of people. Some of them it's definitely true of uh, you know, people of color, poor people. I don't remember who was on that list, but like there are mm-hmm. communities, uh, types of people that are more affected by abortion. But one of the people they said was the Horny LGBTQ people. community. Uh, what'd you say? Horny people. Oh, <laughs> yeah, definitely. If you have more sex, um, you're disproportionately affected. That's true. Yeah. Or attractive people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, attractive people. <laughs> that should have been a tweet. This disproportionately <laughs> affects sexually attractive people. You know, you may get paid more, uh, it, but you also are more likely to need an abortion. So is it, you know, yeah, pros and say? cons? Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So uh, LGBT people. That, so... First of all, that's ridiculous because uh, most of them are having sex with people of the same gender. Actually, not most, because most LGBT people are bisexual. Like that's the like modal. Mm-hmm. And so, really? yeah, I, I'm pretty sure. Like there's more bisexual people than there are gay or lesbian. Okay. Time really? I am uh, like, I don't know, 80% confident about right, this. You, you fact check me, so I'm... Returning stuff. Yeah. So I was right. Uh, so we both <laughs> got to be right. Um, you were wrong because you were arguing against me. No, okay. Um, but yeah, so so it's not whatever. But let's set aside bisexual people because it's also not clear like how much bisexual people are having sex with the opposite gender versus the same gender. Because like you know they're doing both whatever but to say that it disproportionately affects people who are more likely to be having sex with the same gender than an opposite gender seems ridiculous um in the comments to that like to people sort of arguing against it um people were saying well are you just ignoring the fact that uh lgbt people are more likely to get raped mm-hmm. and it's like okay Sure, that is probably true. Um, there, I've seen sources on that. Who knows? Um, but that doesn't most like abortions. most abortions are not because because of rape. Like, yeah. But also, just I mean, <clears throat> the ACLU. Like, it's an interesting tweet, just in in terms of like where progressives are now, because it's like. What, okay, what if what if it was just bad? Like, what if it didn't disproportionately affect marginalized communities? Mm-hmm. What if it was just bad? Like, would you even know how to argue against it now? Like, it's almost like things only matter if they disproportionately affect marginalized communities. And and in this case, if this is mainly affecting attractive women, <laughs> like, like you know, like, would, do you even like? Every every single issue is framed through this this lens of of 
of powerful groups yeah. versus marginalized groups. And like, it, it reminds me of this um, really interesting podcast where they were like talking about um, sexual assault laws and, and like whether we should change the burden of, of proof and stuff like that. And, and um, kind of the stuff we were talking to Katie Hertzog about and like the entire counter argument against like, weakening the burden of proof uh to like convict more people who commit rape and sexual assault the entire counter argument was framed as but this would disproportionately impact um black men right Mm -hmm. so and i was just like really struck by this immediate impulse to be like well i can't make a compelling argument that this would just put more innocent white guys in jail like we'd get more like we you know because they, they just don't matter at all so i have to if i want to win the argument in a progressive space i have to frame it in this way that like m- you know my side is the is the better side for the marginalized for the more marginalized group and it's i don't know like it's such a it's such a dumb way i think of thinking about the world and and policy and yeah i i mean in some ways it it's good and it, and it provides valuable insight, but man, I just think people in these hyper-progressive spaces are losing the ability to like think clearly outside of these really like simplistic, like heuristics about like marginalized groups and disproportionate impacts. And, and I think like, it just is, probably very off-putting to people who are not so progressive. Uh, And also I was kind of joking about this at the beginning of the episode, but like framing it, like say like the language where you're no longer allowed to say pregnant women or Mm. that, you know, the abortion laws affect women instead they affect like Mm. people with uteruses or whatever. It's like, Mm. yeah, it is important to be inclusive of trans people. Mm. um, But it's also important to like not alienate like most of the people who would be on your side by just yeah, like making well, them, you know. Yeah. I, don't know. I mean, it, that's only important if you actually want to win elections and protect the right to abortion and things like that. Like just yeah. minor concerns like that. Like, <laughs> and that's like, I think this is a really a core flaw with like this pr- progressive worldview. It's like, if everything is framed in terms of, minority groups and and marginalized groups almost like by definition you are like you're constantly your messaging is is focused on these small small groups and you're you're sort of talking past the majority or like you're just sort of like you're not talking to the majority of what of their interests and what they want you kind of just this it's sort of this moralizing language of well you have to you have to support our side because what about these other groups that are not you I'm reminded of, uh, there was this pretty funny, I thought, um, Liz Warren had a quote where she said, and I think she is just a clumsy thing that she said, but she was like, black trans women are the backbone of the American economy. And it was just like, huh. Okay. So like black people are like 13% of the country. Uh, and like trans people are like, 0.3% of black. Yes. So it's like, yeah, you've okay. Like black, black trans people, I'm sure life is very difficult 
for a black trans person. Right. And like, I think like this group deserves our time and respect and attention. Um, and like, I, I want the world to be better for those people, but that probably means Democrats need to win elections. And it probably means we shouldn't be saying like really weird, strange stuff. Like black trans women are the uh, backbone of the American economy. And it's just like, how, a person who says that is not going to be president. Like, yeah. it, that's such a, like, you can only get away with saying shit like that, you know, in a social psychology department. And I think that's where people like Liz Warren belong. Like, not trying to win elections where important things like the right to abortion uh, are at stake. Um, like, come on. Come on, people. Do better. Hashtag Liz Warren. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Well, um, you were worried that we wouldn't have enough content, but we made it to like two hours. So yeah, I'll probably edit some of it out. Cool. Sounds good. All right. Well, I'll talk to you soon. Have a good weekend, everybody. And uh, yeah, stay safe out there.